0: Okay, we're at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're looking at verses 7 through 18. We're going to talk about the new covenant. We talked a little bit about it last week, Paul saying about the issue of being ministers of the new covenant. Today we're going to look at uh, the whole issue of the new covenant versus the old covenant. What is the difference? Maybe you were wondering and, and, and basically thinking, okay, what's this covenant thing? What's going on here with this covenant thing? And so we're going to talk about the whole issue of the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And really, this is an important lesson because it really gets to the heart of your salvation. I have come to the conclusion that most of you and even myself, don't truly grasp the meaning and the effect of our salvation. For most of us, our salvation is simply, how should I say it, fire insurance? For most of us, our salvation is simply, oh, I've got my sins taken care of, so you just gave me a blank check on life. And so if I mess up, God's going to forgive me. For most of us, it's, well, you know, I've got that thing taken care of. I I can do what I want to do. But that's not salvation. Salvation is not just simply just ensuring you have forgiveness. Salvation is not just ensuring that you have heaven later on. When you come to faith in salvation, whether you realize it or not... There is the main aspect of salvation is that you decide that I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to let God live through me. That basically when you come to Christ, it's not just that I prayed a prayer and it saved me. But now I've decided that he knows best for what my life should happen. And yes, he's forgiven me. And yes, he's going to give me the strength to live. I'm going to change my whole direction of my life. And that's what you'll see when you read through the New Testament. That's what you'll see from the Apostle Paul. And it's actually a freeing thing. But most of us, I don't think, are aware of that. Because I'll tell you why I don't think that. Because we don't take very seriously what the Word of God says about how we should live. We don't take very seriously about what God says about how we should live, how we should interact with each other, or what God wants from us. You say, How can you say that, George? Well, as an observer of people, and that's what a pastor is a lot of times, I know how we treat each other. I know how we treat the Word of God. We are more influenced by our culture than we are influenced by what God's Word says. And so when I face issues in my life, I'm more apt to see what everybody else thinks I should do than really what God wants me to do. I'm more apt to see what my culture says to do than what I think God's Word says to do. You say, are you for real, George? Yeah, just recently, George Barna did an interesting survey. And you might be shocked by this. But he looked at the issue of morality among baby boomers. We have a lot of baby boomers here. And the issue of morality among busters, and that's my generation. And then morality from the next generation would be generation X. And then the generation of your children. Now, this is the interesting thing about his statistic. Now, this is going to shock you. That with every generation, the standard of morality, and I'm talking sexual morality, has decreased. So, actually, the boomers here have a higher standard for sexual sexual morality... Than the busters do. The busters have a higher standard of morality. Although it's not what the boomers have. It's higher than a Gen X. Gen X, that generation, has an even lower. And I'll be honest with you, look at your teenagers today. You might be shocked at some of the things. Recreational sex is the number one issue among our teenagers. See, for most of us, sex is something that comes out of a relationship. You might be shocked to know that morality among your teenagers is such now that sex has nothing to do with relationships. Sex is just something for mutual enjoyment. And so there's something that's called in our schools, buddies with benefits. And and all of that comes from the whole issue of, in our Christian church, we have no understanding... Of what our salvation is or what it means in our life. Here's another interesting statistic. I just read this this week. The Southern Baptist, which is the largest denomination, Protestant denomination in the United States, and we would hold to very many things that they would, has identified that their number one problem that they need to do something about or it's going to greatly affect them is this, that 90% of their teenagers, when they reach 18 church. They're gone. Can I tell you that at the heart of it is the fact that maybe people don't understand what salvation is? See, it's not just simply fire insurance. It's not just simply forgiveness. It's a whole other issue. And that's what we're going to be looking at today when we talk about the glory of the new covenant. I want you to grasp the reality of the new covenant, because we're going to contrast it with the old covenant. Because if you understand what it was like to, in the old covenant, hopefully it'll help you to grasp the issue of salvation now. Hopefully. Because these are very real issues. Hey, they're real issues in your home. They're very real issues even in this church. Hey, don't, don't, let me just be honest with you. Don't assume for a moment that everybody here has the same view of morality. Did you do? And if you've been in church a long time, don't assume that everybody, because they call themselves a Christian, has your view of morality. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor is the fact that we're not all cookie cut. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor is that I have to deal with people at different levels of maturity. And that's where we're at. That's the society we which we live in. And so, at the heart of what we've got to look at is this whole issue of what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? For you to say that I'm saved, it is not, can I be honest with you, you just simply praying a prayer. Can I be honest with you? That is not sending you to heaven. It is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and recognizing he is the only one for your salvation, not praying some prayer. A prayer isn't going to do anything but send you to hell if you think that's what saved you. And I heard one minister say this, there's an awful lot of people who are going to wake up in hell thinking that they're saved simply because they prayed a prayer. Because all they did was go through a religious exercise, they never truly grasped salvation and realized that they needed Christ for themselves. See, it's your faith in what he's done that saved you, not some religious exercise. It's not walking an aisle, it's not getting dunked in a tank, or sprinkled, or whatever. But it's the whole issue of embracing Jesus Christ in your life. So let's look at what he says here. You say, you're fired up. Yeah, I guess I am. I better calm down. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory, in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains It's much more glorious. Again, it seems like a difficult passage, so I'm going to help you to understand a little bit. So let's look first of all at verse 7, the glory of the Old Covenant. You say the Old Covenant had a glory to it? Yes, because God instituted it. Do you understand that anything that God instituted has an element of glory in it? Has an element of glory. For instance, does anybody know another institution that God instituted? Marriage. There's an element of glory in marriage. Just let me make a side note here. I was reading something this week that marriage was created by God as a picture of the relationship that we have with Him. And because of that, Satan hates it. Satan hates marriage because it's a picture of the communion, the intimacy that we can have with God. And so he'll do everything he can to destroy your marriage. Everything he can to destroy your marriage. You need to be aware of that. So everything that God creates has an element of glory to it. So even the old covenant has an element of glory to it. And so here's what he says. The old covenant which led to death was glorious. You say, now what does this mean, the old covenant that led to death? See, the old covenant, everybody remember what that is? That's the law. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt do this. Thou shalt not do that. All of this stuff. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments plus a whole lot of other things. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The law. And you know, when you read through it, it gets pretty boring, doesn't it? Spend some time in Leviticus. That You'll know what I mean. You'll not want to continue on your Bible reading. And what the issue of the Old Covenant was is that it told you that if you do these things wrongly, what would happen to you? Yeah, death. Death. Now, here's the thing. and that's, It was glorious because it revealed God's standard. It revealed God's holiness. It revealed His way. But it also revealed that you and I can't keep it, could it? All you got to do is look at the history of Israel. Were they ever able to keep the the covenant? Were they ever able to keep the law? No, not even to this day. There was no way to keep it. And so, but yet, this covenant which led to death was glorious because it revealed who God was. It revealed His standard. It revealed an element about Him. And, he then illustrates this by saying that the glory reflected in Moses' face was of temporary nature. So, remember the story in the Old Testament where Moses goes up and he sees God and when he comes back down, his face was shining and, and all the people, there couldn't, they, they, they couldn't behold it. They were like, you know, Moses, you know, don't cover your face because we can't handle the glory of God that's shining on your face. But you also know that that was temporary, wasn't it? Remember, he had to walk around with a veil on his face. And that was a temporary thing. Why? Because eventually, what happened to Moses? Well, not only did he sin, but what happened to him? Is he still walking around today? Yeah, he died. So it was temporary. So, And and that's Paul is saying, basically, he's making an analogy here that that glory was temporary. The glory of the old covenant was only temporary. The glory of the Old Covenant was only temporary. So then when he gets to verse 8 and 9, he talks about the New Covenant. The New Covenant is far more glorious than the Old Covenant. The New Covenant is far more glorious than the Old Covenant. What's the New Covenant? Anybody? We talked about this last week. Grace. Okay? He said grace? What else? What's the New Covenant? We just talked about it earlier. Yes, Jesus our Savior. Salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ who satisfied God's wrath. Who satisfied God's wrath. And so that's the new covenant. The relationship through Jesus Christ through salvation. And he says that that is far more glorious than the old covenant. Now why do you think it's far more glorious? Permanent. It's permanent. What else? Okay, it's a part of God. Yes, through Jesus because He's the one who instituted it through His sacrifice. What else? Why do you think it's, it's more glorious? Christ was a perfect sacrifice because of His obedience. That's good, Mike. Anybody else? Why do you think it's more glorious? Why do you think the new covenant is more glorious? We don't have to keep the law because remember, what did the old covenant lead to? Yeah. It just revealed our inadequacy, didn't it? What does the new covenant lead to? Life. Life. Eternal life, as Rod was saying here. You see what I'm saying? It's far more glorious. Hey, can I be honest with you? It should be far more glorious for you guys. Because I don't think I have anybody here of Jewish descent. I don't think so. Anybody here got Jewish descent here? Can I tell you why it's far more glorious for you? Because if there was any old salvation in the Old Covenant, you didn't have a part in it. You were basically red-headed stepchildren. Basically, you were illegitimate. And you had no part in the Old Covenant. Can I be honest with you? Under the Old Covenant, the only lot that you and I had in the Old Covenant was hell. What makes the New Covenant far more glorious is Is that the new covenant isn't just for Jews? It's for who? Everybody. So isn't it a little bit more glorious for you guys? You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. You guys don't. That's why I'm saying. I don't think we truly understand the issue of salvation. Because before Jesus, you had no hope. You were totally ostracized from the covenant of God. And so it's far more glorious because now you do have a hope. Yes, there was a wall. That's right. You're right, Jerry. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that. Yes. And he tore down that wall. He tore down that wall. So, the glory of the new covenant is far more glorious than the old. In fact, he goes on verse 10 and talks about the contrast between the two. The Old Covenant does not have the, does not have splendor when compared with the New Covenant. You, you say, what do you mean by that? Remember I told you that the Old Covenant was glorious in a way. But when you compare it to the New Covenant, it just looks old. There is no splendor there. It just looks old. I, I read a story about a guy that had a white dog and they did one of those little fluffy... Yippy, nippy things that they, uh, you know, and they spent a lot of money keeping it groomed and keeping it, you know, clean because it was white and fluffed up hair and everything, you know, making it look, and it looked nice. It looked really white and pure and everything until one day when this, it snowed and they let the dog out to do its thing and the owner was looking out, looking at his beautiful dog and there among the snow, it looked yellow. It wasn't this you know, nice, fluffy, white thing that they're spending a whole lot of money on because up against that which was really pure, which is snow, you could see that it wasn't pure. It wasn't totally perfect. See, that's the whole thing with the Old and New Covenant. Up against the New Covenant, while the Old Covenant was glorious, it doesn't even hold a candle. It just reveals itself of what it is. It's not splendor. You know, it's not beautiful. So then notice... The nature of the old and new covenant. Verse eleven. The ministry of the old covenant has faded away. The ministry of the old covenant has faded away. See, there's no reason I mean the law was the law showed our need. You know, that's that's a good point there. The ministry of the old covenant in your life has faded away. The issue isn't how many spiritual things can you do to gain favor with God. That ministry has passed away. That ministry is gone. See, if you, see, that's why I'm saying, so many people don't understand the issue of salvation in life because they think that now I'm a Christian, I gotta do all the right things, or God doesn't accept me. If I don't have my devotional time every day, I'm going to have a engine problem on the on the bypass in the middle of construction. All all these different things. Or I'm going to go to Walmart and I'll get the new cashier who doesn't know anything. And in front of me is the guy that gets something that doesn't come up on the scanner, so they got to search all over the store for it. You know, so you start thinking in terms like that because I didn't have my devotions today. See, that's the ministry of the Old Covenant. And he says that the Old Covenant is passing away. What does he say then? The ministry of the New Covenant is permanent. What's the ministry of the New Covenant? Jerry said this first when I asked about the description of the New Covenant. What did you say, Jerry? Grace. What is grace, anybody? I'm a favor. That's the theological de- definition. Can I give you George Cannon's definition? Yes, that's right, Ramona. You remember, getting something you don't deserve. Getting something you don't deserve. Which for which means basically getting God's forgiveness, getting God's acceptance, getting God's love, getting something that you don't deserve. And so we see the old ministry of the Old Covenant fading away and the ministry of the New Covenant becoming permanent. So then I want you to notice verse 12 to 15. We're going to talk about the people of the Old Covenant. Look at verse 12 to 15. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could look, not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil was taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So then let's notice the people of the Old Covenant. First of all, the permanence of the New Covenant gave Paul boldness to to speak. The permanence of the New Covenant gave Paul boldness to speak. And so, what I want you to see is, can I be honest with you? This is another thing. Some of you are so scared to death of sharing your faith. Some of you are so scared to death of just telling somebody that you love Jesus and you believe in Jesus. Again, I think it's because you don't truly understand your own salvation. If you truly understood the grace of God in your life, then you'd be excited to share with somebody else that, look, it's not an issue of keeping some law or doing some religious ritual. It's an issue of coming to Christ and knowing that He accepts you and loves you, but you've got to embrace what He's done for you. See, that gave Paul boldness to speak. The next thing he says, here's what he noticed said about the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, Moses had to veil his face to hide God's glory from Israel. See, under the Old Covenant, Israel couldn't handle looking at the glory of God. They couldn't handle it. When they saw Moses, I'm, you'll read the passage, here's what they'll say. Moses, you've got to do something because we're going to die looking at you. Because when they saw the glory, it revealed what in their life? Sin. Well see, when, I'm going to be honest with you. When you say God, notice the reaction of everybody in the Bible. We just went through Revelation just not too long ago. Remember the reaction of John when he saw Jesus? What did he do? He fell on the ground as what? Dead. When human beings see a holy, transcendent God, they become very much aware of who they are. And who are we? Sinners. Sinners. Remember Isaiah, Isaiah six. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. See, when you come in, you come. When you see the glory of God, it has that effect on you, and so. Israel, because the law reveals its sin, when it saw the glory of God, it couldn't handle it. So they had to tell Moses, Moses, cover your face. I want you to think about this. Moses, when he walks around with the children of Israel, he's got his face covered. He only took it off, the scripture said, when he entered into the, the tabernacle to meet with God face to face. Then he would take it off. Because everybody else couldn't handle it. Everybody else couldn't handle it. So then he goes on currently, the Jews are still blinded to the glory of God in Christ. So, you want to know what's going on over in Israel? Why is it so hard for the Jews to come to faith? Some do come to faith, but I'll be honest with you, they are a minority. A minority. But when you look at the Jewish nation today, why it is so hard for them to grasp the glory of God in Christ is that they still have that veil. They can't see it. Hey, remember when The Passion of the Christ came out? Maybe you watched CNN or maybe Fox News or something or some news, st- you know, Good Morning America or some program and, you know, they had people on there even before the movie ever came out. They had a whole bunch of Jewish Anti-Defamation League and all these, you know, all these groups on there condemning the movie. Did they why? Yeah, it was about Christ. Well, it had nothing to do with the Jewish issue. Because we've had movies before that reflected the same thing. You know, they said that. They said it was anti-Semitic. But I'll be honest with you. Anything Christian is anti-Semitic. Because the issue is, is that what the movie is claiming is that Jesus is what? Their Messiah. So what you see is the continued... Issue of the rejection. See, all i got to do is look at the Scripture. And when I see the reaction on TV, I say, boy, that sure does read like the book of Acts. And how they reacted to Paul and his message of the cross. Remember, Paul said this. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. That's to you and I. And remember, everybody else who wasn't a Christian thought it was what? Foolish! But to you and I, Paul says, it is the message of hope. So to them, Paul's saying here in this letter that the Jews' current blindness, they're still, they're blinded to the glory of God in Christ. So when you see the reaction of the Jews or whatever, or you hear about this or whatever, don't just sit there and say, what is their deal? Hey, they're spiritually blind. That's what their deal is. You need to understand that right now, their eyes aren't open. Look, one day their eyes will be open. But we looked at that in Revelation, didn't we? We looked at that in Revelation. Now, notice now the people of the New Covenant. And this is where we're going to spend our last five minutes. The people of the New Covenant. And so, maybe from this, we will grasp the reality of our salvation. Look with me in verse 16 through 18. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit... Of the Lord. First of all, the people of the New Covenant, it's a result of turning to Christ. So notice what it says. Spiritual blindness is removed when one turns to Christ. See, before coming to Christ, you were spiritually blind. Well, I could see. No, no, you made it to see physically. But when you come to Christ and you turn to Him, notice salvation is described as turning to Him. What does that mean? Turning from the way you used to do things and the way way you used to view things and the way that you used to be led to now turning to Jesus and saying, Lord, I'll let you lead my life. You died for me. And when He says that, when we turn to Him, the veil drops off our eyes we then now are able to understand things better than we've ever been able to understand them before. What's that? Yes, we, were, we weren't a part of the old covenant, remember? We had no direct connection to God. When we come to God, that that blindness is lifted from our eyes. We now see things differently. Think about it. I can think back. It's only been 21 years that I've been a believer now, but I can think about the way that I used to think about things before I came to Christ as a 19-year-old, and now that I have come to Christ, I can think back to those original years. My whole perception of the world changed. My whole value system changed. I had a different understanding of what was right and what was wrong. Because now I was no longer what? Blind. 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 So, what I want you to see is is that spiritual blindness is removed when one turns to Christ. And here, notice the result of coming to Christ. The result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your life is liberty. It's not more law. You know, it took me ten years to grasp this point. It took me ten years to grasp the point that is up on the screen. You say, what do you mean? See, I got saved, came to Christ through the influence of an independent Baptist college group. And then I was immediately plugged into an independent Baptist church. And they preached the message of salvation, of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. But no sooner than I got saved, I now was imposed a whole new law. I gain acceptance by, to, by God by... I, I get my salvation, but now I, it was very much communicated in a subtle way that my acceptance with God now was based upon what kind of Bible I carried, how I dressed, and I've shared this with you. I mean, this is ridiculous. You can laugh about it. I can laugh about it now. But back then, it was very serious business. I grew up in a home where I never had a suit, never had a tie, The only thing we ever wore was jeans, or t-shirts, or flannel shirts. Flannel shirts, and we t-shirts, you know, during the summer and that. Well, that was it. That's all we ever had. We didn't have any nice clothes unless somebody died. And then, of course, you quickly outgrew them as a kid. So I get saved, I go to this independent Baptist church, and I gotta, I gotta dress up now. I gotta have a coat, I gotta have a tie. And so I go to my dad, and the only stuff he had was back when he was in the Masons, back in the early 70s, and he's got a size 46 jacket. Well, I'm a size 50. So I'm wearing his jacket. Only ties he's got are early 70s, you know what I'm talking about, big, puke colored, wide things. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, they were gracious with me. But I'm sure I look pretty stupid. I'm sure. But why did I do it? Because somebody was imposing an old covenant on me. Somebody was imposing a law on me. See, it took me ten years to realize the result of the Holy Spirit's dwelling is what? Liberty. Two years later, when I went to Liberty, I only had one blazer. I finally was able to buy a blue blazer. Somebody was enough wise enough to say, Son, you need to get a blazer. That'll go with anything. Except plaid shirts. <laughs> okay? Ask Lori. When I, when I first started dating her, I had a striped tie with a plaid shirt on. <laughs> Y'all are laughing. Come on, you're supposed to laugh, okay? Alright, Lori addresses me. Alright, I'll admit that. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Because this, we had this standard, and some of you know, you were in those kind of churches, where there's this law that I gave my acceptance by this, by that, by this. Listen, where the Spirit of God is, there's what? Liberty, freedom. What's liberty? Freedom. 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 And then he talks about our transformation. Because listen, let me kind of be honest with you, this whole stuff about the way you're supposed to dress and and I didn't have a problem with the haircut rule there because I mean there you had to have you used to have you had to have buzz. Okay? Well that didn't matter because I grew up in a military home and in my home we didn't have long hair, period. Because my dad wouldn't stand for that. But see that's all the outward stuff, isn't it? God doesn't look on like the outward appearance, does he? What does he look on? He looks at your heart. See, you can fake it. A lot of people faking it. But God knows your heart. That's what he looks at because transformation is not from the outside, it's from where? Inside. So notice what he says, verse 18. But we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that word metamorphosis, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so what's he saying here? Final point. We are being transformed by God's glory as we behold it. See, as you behold God's glory, as you understand your salvation, as you understand the new covenant, it's going to change you. It's not going to change your outward actions at first. That will happen later on. But it's going to change you from the inside out. It's going to change you from the inside out. See, that's what's so frustrating for me as a pastor. I've got to realize that I've got to deal with people. Each person is at a different level. We're not all on the same level here. Does anybody understand that? And I'll be honest with you. I'm dealing with stuff today I couldn't have handled 21 years ago in my life. Why do I expect people who just come to Christ right now to deal with the stuff I'm dealing with right now? I couldn't handle it. Why do I expect them to handle it? See, they're at a different level. They have to be progressed along too. And transformation happens from the inside out. From the inside out. We'll talk more about this next week, about the issue of our salvation and so forth, and about our ministry in it as we look at the nature of ministry next week. Let me just read you a small quote. I was reading this book yesterday at the hospital. A little book called The Bruised Reed*, It was written back in 1630 by a Puritan divine by the name of uh, Richard Sibbs. I quoted something from him before. And uh, in here he talks about God's work in our life. And I had to, I had to mark this, this statement. This is why I think we don't understand our acceptance and understand our salvation with God. Listen to this. I was going to, I'm was i going to share this in the morning service, but it, it so impacted me when I read it, I need to share it with you now because I think it hits with what we're talking about here in the New Covenant. And then we'll stop. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. He writes this. Christ values us by what we shall be and by what we were elected unto. Isn't that a great definition of salvation? That my acceptance and my value with God and how He looks at me is based upon what we shall be. What shall we be? Perfect. When we go to be with Him. Isn't that awesome? That's how He looks at you right now. He looks at you not based upon your past, not based upon all this other stuff. He looks at you based upon what you shall be. Wow! And what he's elected you unto. That's why I am saying we don't understand. We need to grasp and understand it. Let's pray.